All right, so Psalm 139. Um, Sherlock Holmes, I'm going to start with a joke this morning, <laughs> and his sidekick Watson are camping. And, and they pitch their tent under the stars. It's during the summertime, and they go off to sleep. And sometime in the middle of the night, Holmes wakes up Watson. Watson, look up at the stars and tell me what you deduce. And Watson sleepily but thoughtfully replies, I see millions of stars, and if even a few of those have planets, it's quite likely that there are some planets like Earth. And if there are a few planets like Earth out there, there might also be life. And Holmes replies, Watson, you numbskull, someone's stolen our tent. (laughs) Sometimes we overlook the obvious. And this can happen when we read the Bible. We can get caught up in what this word means or whether we relate to that Bible character or we might ponder how a verse teaches a certain doctrine or how it applies to our daily lives. But all the while we can miss the main thing that the Bible is about, which is what? It's about God. I can miss that. You know, I love the Bible. I love the themes. I love the theology. But if I'm not careful, I can forget about the obvious. I can forget about what the Bible is teaching me and teaching us about God. And so for a while, I've been sensing, and some of you have been sensing too, that it would be good for us to take some time and focus in and ponder and remind ourselves of what God is like. In fact, most of the apologetics questions that I've invited you to pass along to me recently have had to do with who God is and what God is like. And so that's what I thought we'd do these um, coming months. Let's take a look directly at who God is and what God is like. So we're going to dive right in this morning with the question, where is God? Maybe you're putting your child to bed one night or you're You're walking in the park, holding the hand of your niece or nephew or or grandchild, and they ask, where is God? What do you say? How do you answer? Take just a second and think about that for yourself. Where is God? Do you answer, God is in heaven? Or, God is everywhere? Or... God is in the hearts of of the people who believe in Jesus? Or God is in church when his people gather there? Where is God? Well, all of those answers would be right. God is in heaven. And God is everywhere. And God is in the hearts of those who believe in Jesus. And God is in church when his people gather there. But there's a danger that all by themselves, each of those answers would be wrong. Because God is in heaven, but that doesn't mean God is distant or far away. And God is everywhere, but that doesn't mean that God is not a single being separate and distinct from everything else. And God is in the hearts of those who believe in Jesus, but that doesn't mean God isn't involved with and doesn't care about everyone and everything else in this universe. And God is in church when his people gather there, but that doesn't mean that God's people have a corner on God or can in any way control God. So where is God and why does it matter? 
That's what I'd like to ponder with you this morning. And I'm excited about this series because there are no greater thoughts that we can think than thoughts about God. There's nothing more wonderful to think about than to think about God. And so as we ponder God over these these coming weeks, I, I hope it expands and it delights our minds and I hope it warms and chastens our hearts. But even more, I hope it moves us to trust God more and, and to grow and to change our lives as a result as we find our place in this universe in relation to God. So where is God? When Anne, my wife, and I first met and started dating, we very quickly discovered that we tended to answer that question, where is God, a little differently. Anne tended to chat with God all day long. For her, God was friendly, God was relational, God was a constant nearby companion. I, on the other hand, tended to think of God as as high up and, and awesome and holy, far up there somewhere. And that difference between the two of us, if pushed to the extremes, illustrates two opposite mistakes we can make in thinking about God. One is to think only that God is is up there, out there, somewhere far above us, that God is untouchable and and unreachable. Theologians call God's up there God's total beyondedness from us, they call it the transcendence of God. And it's an important aspect of understanding what God is like and where God is. But if you only have the transcendence of God, what you wind up with is deism. A far-off, aloof, impersonal, uninvolved God. A, A divine watchmaker, as he's been called, who created this universe and wound it up like a clock and let it go and it ticks on now all by itself while its creator is far off, not meddling, just leaving us on our own. To think of God this way would be a danger. It it would be false. Yet there's an opposite danger too, and, and that is to think of God as only close by, all around, permeating through and within everything. Theologians call this nearness of God, this intimate involvement of God in this world, they call it the imminence of God. And, and it's another important aspect of knowing what God is like and, and where God is. But if you only have the imminence of God, you get pantheism. You, you get God as, as a life force, like the force in Star Wars. In, in this view, God is simply the, the living essence of everything. God is part of every living thing. And so God gets lost amidst everything. God simply melts into the fabric of the universe. The, the imminent God of pantheism has no personality and is not personal. And so you can't relate to or really know this kind of God. The God of pantheism has no face. And if you look for a face so you can relate to the God of pantheism, what you do is, is you search for the God within. And, and the God you wind up with is your own face in the mirror. Or maybe the face you wish was in the mirror. Not another person that you can relate to, but just a part or a projection of yourself. Of course, I realize that we have many religions in the world, and and many would disagree with what I just said. 
Some religions would, would push us hard in the transcendent direction. They claim that God is way up there somewhere, not involved, not knowable really, just to be feared and honored. Other religions, and these ones happen to be more popular today, would push us hard in the imminent direction. They would encourage us to see God in everything and to honor God in everything and to encourage people to find God within themselves. Well, here's the thing with with most all religions, whether tending toward deistic or tending toward pantheistic, here's what these religious approaches assume. They assume that we're on our own to figure out God as best we can. Using our minds, searching our hearts, experimenting, dialoguing, questing. That God hasn't revealed what God is like to us, at least not clearly, and so we've got to search God out the best we can. And as a result, of course, we come up with very different conclusions. Well, those of us who have read and come to believe what the Bible teaches have a different view. We believe that that human beings are, are too limited and our minds are too faulty to figure out God for ourselves. First, we're too limited. Our, our finite minds are just too small. As Romans 11.33 puts it, how unsearchable are God's judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? How can the clay know what's in the mind of the potter? If we think about God just using our minds, just reasoning or just sensing or intuiting what God is like, we should conclude with just mind blown. God is beyond our understanding. Second, though, when it comes to to figuring out God, we're not only limited and puny-minded, we're also more than a little bit biased. Because we have a vested interest in what we find God to be like. You know how you can't trust researchers who who got that huge grant from Philip Morris to study whether cigarette smoking really has negative health effects? (laughs) In the real world, we, we try to avoid putting people whose jobs depend on coming to certain conclusions, we avoid putting them in charge of doing unbiased research. Because it's super hard for them to remain unbiased. Well, that's us as humans when it comes to God. We're biased. There are certain conclusions about God we would prefer to come to, and there are other ones we would prefer not to come to. Because certain conclusions, if we come to them, will affect our lives greatly. They'll affect our freedom, they'll affect our choices, they'll affect our self-identity. So if humans are small-brained compared to God, and if we're biased... And so we can't be trusted to figure out what God is like, then then what are we to do? Well, here's what we believe here at CBC that God did. We believe that God, in God's mercy, didn't wait for us to figure out what God was like. But rather, God went ahead and took the initiative to reveal to us what God is like. God revealed to humankind who God is and what God's ways are. Ready or not, God said, here I am. (laughs) This is what I'm like. Let me reveal myself to you. And we believe that that revelation is is found above all in in God's word. Or or, sorry, sorry. Uh, It's found, um, yes, above all in God's word. But 
it's found, first of all, all around us in God's world. Everywhere we look, in the snow, in the sunset, in, the, in nature, in other people, something about God is revealed to us. However, as I said first, it's found most clearly in God's Word, in, in this book. Not that we understand this book perfectly, or, or that we've got God all figured out or under our control. Beware of people who act that way. But rather that in this book, we're given more light, we're given more clarity about God than anywhere else. Because in this book, God has revealed to us, God has revealed to humankind what God is like. And one thing that this book clearly teaches, and Jews have known this for thousands of years as they've read this book, and Christians who read this book affirm it too, and that is that God is both transcendent and imminent. Both lofty and high and lifted up far above us, and also everywhere around us, as close as our next breath. It's both and. Not either or. Focus on one and and lose the other and you get a distorted and a faulty view of God. But how could that be? How could God be a single personal being far up in heaven, beyond our reach, beyond our understanding, high and lifted up above all, And at the same time, how could God be in and through everything, holding everything together? How could God be as close as our next breath, all around you, all through you? As the Apostle Paul put it in Acts 17, in God we live and move and have our being. How could God be both? How could God be transcendent and at the same time imminent? Answer, God is a spirit. God doesn't have a physical or fleshly body. God is a spirit. God is of some other dimension beyond what we can understand, beyond what we've discovered, or maybe dimension is not even the right word for it, but God is not subject to the constraints of matter and time. God operates, God exists outside of the space-time continuum. And so God is in and through and around us so close by. And yet God is also so beyond us in a dimension or a spiritual existence that we can't reach and we can't penetrate. Close by and yet at the same time far off because God is spirit. And because God is spirit, by the way, even the Bible can't fully describe what God is like because there's no language adequate for it. There are no human concepts. Our brains don't even have quite the right categories. So the Bible gives us approximations to point us in the right direction using metaphors. And so it talks about God's arms to explain that God is powerful and can do stuff, even though God has no arms. And it talks about God's eyes because God sees everything, even though God has no eyes. And it talks about God's face because God is so personal. You can know God and relate to God even though outside of Jesus Christ, God has no physical face. And it it describes God largely using a male pronoun and calls God 
father because God is strong and authoritative and to be respected even though God has no gender. God is a spirit, not a body, not physical. But the Bible describes God often in physical terms because that's the only way we can begin to understand what God is like. All right, with all of that in mind, let's take a look at our verses this morning now, which teach us that God is everywhere. In verse 7, the psalmist asks, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn all the way to the, to the east, if I settle on the far side of the sea all the way to the west, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. God is everywhere. God is everywhere, and that is a mixed blessing depending on where you stand in relation to God. On the one hand, the fact that God is everywhere can be a fearful thing. Because you can't get away from God even if you want to. Verse 11, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, God. God sees what is done in secret because God is right there with you in secret. And this is a word of warning. For for those of us who are not the same people in church on Sunday morning as we are other times in other places. When we're far from church and we think nobody's looking and and, and we're doing that thing we know God really doesn't like and, and we wouldn't want church people to find us doing it or for our mom to know that we're doing it. Guess what? God is right there with you as you do it. You're doing it right in God's presence, right before God's face. You can fool other people maybe, but but you can't fool God. You can hide it from others, but you can't hide it from God. There are no dark corners with God to hide in and to indulge in secret guilty pleasures. You do it always right in the bright glare of God's presence. God's face is right there before you, watching. The prophets give us very striking instances of this. For example, Revelation 6 gives us this picture of God coming to bring justice, to hold people accountable for what they've done. And in response, we read, The kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called on the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? But here's the thing, you you can run, but you can't hide from God. There's no corner dark enough. There is no hole deep enough You can't ever get away from God's gaze or escape God's notice. No, God is right there with you, always watching and present with you because God is everywhere. And this should be sobering, maybe even terrifying news. But on the other hand, the fact that God is everywhere is also great news. Awesome news. 
If you're on good terms with God, if through Jesus Christ you are at peace with God and you enjoy a relationship with God, it's a great comfort to know that God is everywhere. Because you don't have to go anywhere special to get close to God. You don't have to go to church or on a holy pilgrimage. There may be good reasons for those things, but whatever the reason, the reason is not that that God is not there with you already. Because God is already with you wherever you are. And if you already have God's love, no distance can separate you from that love. Nobody and nothing can take you beyond God's care. When you go to work, when you go to school, and you feel like everyone's out to get you, everyone's against you, nobody understands or accepts you for who you are, God is there with you. God is right there with you, ready to enjoy relationship with you, ready to walk with you, ready to comfort you. You know, God's closeness, God's being everywhere is, is not something that historically a lot of religions have been too keen on. Because in many religions, there are certain holy places, and they're often carefully guarded by religious power brokers. And, and if you want to be close to God, you have to travel, you have to trek, you have to pay, you have to give a sacrifice to gain entrance. And so if God is only in certain places, then the religious elite who control those places have great power over people because they can control people's access to the divine. And so what good news it is to know that we can have direct access to God. Because God is everywhere. God is already right with you, right where you are. And you can come to Him through Jesus Christ. Also, in many religions, the gods only hold sway in certain territories. They're local deities. And if you leave those territories, your home territory, sorry, you're outside of the protection of those deities. If you're on foreign soil, then sorry, you're on your own. You're in an unfamiliar world of foreign deities, maybe hostile deities, who you don't know how to appease. What a blessing to know that the true God is not that way. That God is everywhere. And that there's nowhere you can go and be far from God's presence. So in conclusion, how are we to respond to a God who is everywhere? Because here's the thing. Whenever we ponder what God is like, whenever God reveals to us what God is like, we always need to respond. Theology always should lead to worship. Revelation. And so, how do you need to respond to the fact that God is everywhere? Do you need to repent? Because you've been trying to hide from God, you've been doing things that you know are wrong in secret, as if God wasn't there with you. You need to change your ways because God is right there with you and you can't act that way in God's presence. Or on the other hand, do you need to relax and trust because God is with you always close by, even in difficult circumstances. God is right there as close as your next breath, your next heartbeat. 
Here's my challenge to all of us this week. It's, it's to practice the presence of God. To remember that wherever you go, God is already there. As the theologians put it, we're to live our lives in quorum Deo, in the presence of God. So take a minute and, and think now, is, is there a place in your life where you need to remember that God is there? Either because you know that the things you do there are not right, and you've been acting like God isn't there, You've been trying to hide from God. Or, on the other hand, are you thinking of this place because this place feels like God isn't there, like God is far off? Maybe it's a lonely place. Maybe it's a threatening place. And it would change everything. It would give you peace and confidence if you could realize that God is there with you in that place. What's that place for you? Can you picture it? Take a minute now and and picture that place. And remember that God is there. God is fully there. In all of God's godness. With that place in mind, listen to these words. Maybe you want to memorize them, repeat them this week in that place. They're from our verses this morning. Even the darkness will not be dark to you, God. If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. You are there. God is there. God is everywhere. Let's respond in worship.